Last week we were reminded of the confidence we can have in God's word because of his eternal faithfulness. If he says it, it's going to happen. And we can have confidence in that. He promised, he delivered, and he offers hope to each of us through Jesus Christ. So today we talk about the arrival of peace. I got to think about peace quite a bit. And I'm going to read real quickly here, Isaiah 9, 6, but then we'll be going to Luke chapter 2 here in just a little bit. Isaiah 9, 6, this was the prophecy of Isaiah to the people of God 700 years before Jesus was born. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. When I thought about peace, his name would be called Prince of Peace. When I thought about that word peace, I gathered this, that there are different experiences of peace. There is an external peace. An external peace would be the lack of aggression, war, and disturbance. We look around the world today, and as uh, Ryan mentioned, we have wars throughout. We have wars within our own country. It might not be as big as what's happening in Israel right now, but we're, we seem to be at war. There's aggression, disturbance. There's also an internal peace. That internal peace is the calm inside despite the circumstances around. And then we have spiritual peace. Spiritual peace is the right relationship with God. So when God was promising here that there would be the arrival of peace, his peace, which experience do you think he was talking about? The external peace, the internal peace, or the spiritual peace? I think we could all probably make a guess, right? The spiritual peace. The Jewish people hoped for physical peace. They were oppressed. They had a history of oppression. And they just want, they wanted the Messiah to come, defeat the enemy, set up the rule, and then they would be part of the top echelon of those living among the world. That's what they hoped for, but God was sending the Prince of Peace who would have authority over salvation and would reconcile people to God. That's spiritual peace. Now, for those who have spiritual peace, trusting him for salvation, it results in inner peace. It's through that anchor that we can have inner peace despite what's going on around us. Despite what's happening in your own life, you can have inner peace. But the promise of external peace, as we'll see here shortly, was not talking about peace all over the world, but an eternal peace that you would experience with God in heaven for eternity. So how can we trust God for peace? In his uh, uh, statement in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 3 and 4, Isaiah first talked about God. He, he spoke to God. 
This was a commitment that he was making or that God was making to people. Isaiah speaks to God. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Then Isaiah speaks to the listener. He says, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now, the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, you've probably heard that many times. It is very broad in meaning. Some of the things that you can look at here, uh, it means completeness, salvation, contentment, companionship, and blessing. So if your mind is steadfast on God and you fully rely upon God, Scripture says God keeps you in perfect peace. That's great motivation to fully rely on God. So if you're not experiencing peace, perhaps you need to rely on God so that you can experience the peace. Spiritual peace first, inner peace second. How how can we do this? What is the basis for trusting him? Isaiah described God as an everlasting rock. Place your trust in him. He is the everlasting rock. That is a picture of God's eternal provision of protecting and defending your soul for eternity. It's as if it's creating a barrier that nothing can penetrate, which gives us peace. Since God cannot lie, the wise person will fully trust in him and experience perfect peace. God also made a twofold promise in Isaiah 54:10. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So while the world appears to spin out of control, While you experience turmoil in your life, you can rest assured that God will not remove his everlasting love or his promised peace from you. His peace is available no matter what. Do you want that kind of guarantee in your life? You know, it's one thing to want peace. It's one thing to desire peace. But it's another thing to take an action toward having peace. And and here we have a guarantee from God's word, from God, that he will provide peace. Spiritual peace, inner peace with the promise of physical peace hereafter. Do you want that kind of confirmation? The certainty that comes with the promise of God. So God promised peace in the Old Testament. Then 700 years later, a child was born, a son was given, and the Prince of Peace arrived. I want to read from Luke chapter 2. I want to read the first 14 verses. It's a story that you're probably very familiar with. If you've been in church during Christmas, you've probably heard the story again and again. And I love to look at the Christmas story with fresh eyes so that I might be in awe of who we serve, our Lord and Savior. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, if, uh, if we were reading a, a novel, you might have a, a parenthetical phrase right here that says, meanwhile, verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So again we see God's faithfulness through the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. 700-year-old prophecies coming true in a virgin birth, in the line of David, in the town of Bethlehem, just as God said it would happen. The religious leaders, the Jewish people, even though they, they heard and they studied scriptures, they were not waiting in Bethlehem for the birth of the Messiah. But we see here in the passage that God sent an angel to make the announcement to some shepherds in the field. The glory of God surrounded the shepherds. I've often read that thinking the glory of God surrounded the angel, but it surrounded the shepherds. The glory of God. Now, we, we can't even fathom what that means, but it was around them in the dark of night in the field. The glory of God shone around them. We know that the glory of God in itself replaces the sun. There will be no need for sun because of the God's glory. So imagine in the night, no matter what has gone on, no matter how dark it is, the glory of God surrounding you, they were filled with great fear. Reason to to have fear, I would think. And then it says the angel of the Lord announced. That word uh, where he spoke is where we get the word evangelize. So the angel evangelized to the shepherds that there is good news for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For whom was the Savior born? We look at this passage. It's good news of great joy for who? For all 
the people. That means it's good news for you. It's, it's good news for me. It's good news for the terrorist, for the adulterer, the murderer, the liar, the gossip, the prisoner, your enemy, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, all nations, all tribes, and every tongue. This is good news for all people. I'm thankful the angel came that night, and I'm thankful we have witness to that. And I cannot imagine what they were going through at that very moment. God, however, no longer sends the angel to evangelize. He has given that responsibility to you and me. That we are to continue going and evangelizing the good news of great joy to all people to the end of the earth. Do you see how he has given it? This was the responsibility of the angel first. And now it's your responsibility to continue. How are you doing with his message? I I pray that we're doing better than we have before. I pray that we're, we're more aware than we have been before. I pray that we're looking for the opportunities that God has placed before us so that we can share the good news of great joy for all the people. The scripture then says, suddenly, as if that was not sudden already, multitudes of angel armies appeared. Ryan and I talked a little bit about this this week. You know, we can only speculate what that might look like. You think of the sky just peeling open to, to get a glimpse of heaven and to see angels after angels after angels. And let me just pause here and say, these are not fat little babies with wings and diapers. We're talking about warriors of God. Rank after rank after rank, as far as the eye could see. And, and Ryan suggested, you know, God is a, a creator is probably not uh, a cookie cutter angel, that they're probably all sizes and shapes and and, and beholding this as a shepherd already surrounded by the glory of God. And then the sky opening up and you see angel after angel after angel filling the sky. I cannot imagine. I, I wonder, were they just in heaven unable to contain themselves any longer for the miracle that just happened, that God himself became flesh. He was born to die. And they were like, do you understand what has just happened here? Do you understand that God is fulfilling all his promises, that this is the way to hope, this is the way to peace, this is the way to love, this is the way to be reconciled to God. He has done this for you. He's in Bethlehem. He's being born right now. Have you not seen? Have you not heard? They could not contain themselves any longer. And they didn't come to speak to the shepherds. They didn't gather around and say, hey, guys, come here. Well, let's just talk about what's happening here. No, when they showed up, when they burst onto the scene, they were praising God for what he has done. God most high. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is 
pleased. Notice that their statement did not say, earth will now be at peace. That's, that's not what the angel said. It does say there will be peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. That causes us to stop here and say, huh, I know from scripture that we have a sinful nature. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God which means we are incapable of pleasing God. This is why we can't work our way to heaven. This is why we don't earn our way to heaven because we cannot please God in our sinful nature. How then can we experience the promised peace of God if we cannot please God? We begin with faith. Romans, or not Romans, Hebrews eleven six, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us faith is the confidence in what we hope for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Well, because it's fresh on our minds, hopefully, we talked about hope last week. And if you remember, there's a difference between biblical hope. Every time you encounter the word of hope in the Bible, it's different than the hope we have in the world. The hope we have in the world is this, crossing my fingers, hoping it works out, wishful thinking. It's never that way in the Bible. It's always the confident expectation based on the faithfulness of God's word. Every time you see the word hope, that's what it is. So when, when we see the definition of faith saying it is, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, it's not saying this is the confidence that you have when you cross your fingers and you wish really hard for something to happen. That's not faith. So it's not what we wish for, but it's God's said so. When God says it, we can have hope in it. It is the confident expectation that what God said will occur. Therefore, faith is always tied to what God reveals in his word. And that flies in the face of so many teachings today. And I need you to hear this. The creation does not manipulate the creator to get what we want done. Do you hear that? We don't manipulate God. We're the creation. We're the the pot that he created with his own hands. We don't get to tell him what we're going to be used for. Therefore, we rely on him. You you may have heard at some point or witnessed this. We we witnessed it in, in our past when someone had a tragedy in their life. You hear something like, well, you just didn't have enough faith. And that's a lie. Don't listen to that. Here's what I know about faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So you're telling me I don't have enough faith that my child would be healed or that my wife would be healed or my mother-in-law would be healed? You don't, you're telling me I don't have enough faith for that to happen? See, it doesn't line up with what God said in his word. 
But when we fully rely on God's word and we live out his ways, we please God and we experience his peace. When, when we're in those times, listen, we can't claim what we want God to say. Now we can pray that. And we can say, God, there's my desire. Here's what I would hope would happen. Here's, here's the way I would love for it to work out. But like Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. If God has not revealed it in his word, it's not for you to claim it. If God has not revealed it in his word to you, it's not for you to tell someone else they didn't have enough faith. It's always tied to God's word. It's always tied to the revelation of God in his word. So if you say, God said this is going to happen in your life, and God did not say that to you, that means you're a false prophet. And they are not treated very kindly in God's word. We need to be careful. God told me to tell you, Be careful that it's not what you want them to hear, but God said it in his word. And if God said it, climb the rooftop and you stand up there and you shout it from the rooftop. Because if God said it, it's going to happen. And you should have that kind of certainty when God speaks to you. But if if he didn't say it, don't be attaching attaching his name to it. What does it mean for us? God promised the Messiah who would forgive us for our sins, who would reconcile us to himself and secure our salvation through his death and resurrection. That's the promise of peace, and that's the arrival of peace, and now that's the offering of peace to you and me. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. If you reject the invitation, if you reject the provision of peace, that means you place confidence in yourself, not in God. It means you do not have faith. It means that you do not please God. And it also means that you will not experience peace. You won't experience peace. Spiritual peace, you will not have inner peace, and you certainly don't have the promise of eternal peace. According to the Global Commission Partners, 70% of the world's population do not follow the ways of Christ. Now, that's debatable um, because we're not the judge of of people's spiritual condition. It could be much less than that. It could be a little bit more than that. But when I... When I look at the numbers that way, is it any wonder we live in chaos in this world? Is it any wonder that we see violent acts, not only within our country, but outside of the country? Is it any wonder our suicide rates are skyrocketing? Because most do not have peace with God, and they certainly don't have peace with themselves. And this is what it translates to in the world that we live in. We need peace. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he was really honest here. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. 
It doesn't matter what you're going through. I know that sometimes it's not as bad as it could be, but sometimes it's more than you can bear. But listen, he said that you're going to have trouble. Don't be surprised when you have trouble. But here's what you can know, that he is the anchor of your soul if you know him as Lord and Savior. And as the anchor of your soul, you know that he has overcome the world and it's not going to change the outcome of your salvation. I've shared before when I was going through basic training at Fort McClellan, Alabama, about this season of the year, cold, rainy, in the mud. This is where I found what red clay mud goes through and through. I remember lying on my stomach, doing a low crawl under barbed wire with an, uh, an M60 being shot over my head. I'm thinking, what, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing? And here I am through the mud, cold, wet, terrible, shooting over my head. Here's what I learned. I can do anything for a season. I can do anything when I know that there is uh, the end coming. And I've taken that attitude in life. That was probably, if, of six years in the military, that's one thing that I cling to. That's one thing I learned. I was like, you know what? Whatever happens in this world, it's only temporary. I know what the end is. I have the promise. I can do this. I can make it. And it's only through the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ that I can. And I'm grateful for that. And I, I pray that you experience him in the same way. We don't have the peace of the world. That's temporary. And we can enjoy those times, but we don't have the peace of the world. But we have the peace of God through Jesus Christ. That's the one that counts. That's the one that transcends all things. That's the one that gets you hope. That's the one that gives you strength to get through whatever the world is throwing at you. And you need that today. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're justified before God according to God's standards through God's provision. We're not going to know peace in our lives until we have peace with God. I want to encourage you to have peace with God today. To know you have peace with God. What about the follower of Christ? You've walked with the Lord and you don't have inner peace right now. What do you do with that? You know that you have the promise of God. You know that you have eternal peace. You have spiritual peace, but, but you're lacking inner peace. What do you do with that? I'll give you three questions. These are diagnostic questions for you as you go through seasons like this, because we all will at some point in time, what do you do with this? Number one, ask yourself, how am I doing with my personal Bible study? If you have chaos inside, how am I doing with my personal Bible study? Why is that important? Faith is always connected to God's word. You cannot please God without faith. And if you're not pleasing God, you're at war internally. You're living your own way. Number two, how is the consistency of my prayer life? 
Now, I have confessed before that my prayer life has often been about what I want done. And I would give God suggestions just in case he didn't know how to proceed. You know, God, would you please heal so-and-so? And if, if you don't heal them, would you give the doctors wisdom for this? Or somehow have, have medication work? You know, I would give him all the options that he needed to make a wisest choice. <laughs> but I would be sure to tell him what I wanted. I think there's a misconception there that, that if you want something enough and you just keep asking for it, he'll, he'll eventually give it to you. Uh, that's not the purpose of prayer. You know, when we pray, there's some things that happen in prayer. First of all, you humble yourself before God as you enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know you don't belong there. You know you don't deserve there. You know the sin in your life and you know his holiness. It's a place where we confess our sins. Now, God already knows what the sins are. It's important that we identify the sins, that we agree with God about our sins, that we name them one by one, that he has revealed to us. We know what sin is. We empty ourselves so that we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. We also lay our burdens down. This is the time when you, you lay the illnesses, the troubles, the tragedies, uh, the, the business difficulties, the classroom difficulties, the sports difficulties, the hobbies, whatever you're, you're dealing with now, this is the time to lay your burdens down. Realizing this, in humility, I can't control the world. I can't control the people around me. And I'm going to yield to God and trust him with what is burdening my soul right now. And then lastly, surrender. I, I realize that when you come to Jesus Christ the first time that you surrender your life to him, that he would be your Lord and Savior. But if you're like me, there are times as you go through life that you just pick up control again. And you want to control that area of your life. When you go to prayer, that's the time to release it again. It's time to lay it back down and, and confess to God, I'm trying to do this and, and this is not for me. You did not intend for me to control myself and you be Lord. I can't tell you what to do and I can't accomplish it on my own. Therefore, I lay it before you. So if we're not consistently in prayer accomplishing those things, it's great to ask God to bless your food. And we need to do that. We need to be thankful for how he's provided for us. But if that's the totality of your prayer life, you're missing the point of why we're going into the throne room of heaven. And as Gary said, we don't just say and, and save all the lost people. That's a great prayer, but who's God putting in your life? Who is he giving you responsible to engage and to share the gospel with? Who is that person you're praying for, for salvation? Number three, in what area of my life am I not relying on God fully? How's the, my time in the Bible? How's my time in prayer? And have I surrendered everything to him? See, if we would get those things in order, we would once again experience peace in our life. That's the inner peace that we desire. If you're not strengthening your relationship with Christ and fully relying on God, you will experience chaos and turmoil as your flesh is at war with your weakening spirit. So we must strengthen our spirit in him. 
Here's what we know without a doubt. God promised peace. Peace arrived. And God invites you to experience peace with him. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. As you trust him. I would just ask this morning, will you trust him for salvation so that you may have peace with God and in your life and the promised peace for eternity in heaven? If you don't know peace, if if you know you don't have that kind of peace, I can't think of a better thing to do today than to just come forward and say, I need Jesus. I need to know his salvation because I'm not at peace. Now, if you already know him as your Lord and Savior, but you're lacking inner peace, maybe your response is just to let go today, to confess and lay it down at the altar. Walk away from it, saying, God, this is yours. And I confess that I'm trying to control it. And that's not my role. You are the Lord of my life. And I submit to you. 